The Women in Agile podcast series amplifies voices of outstanding women in the Agile community. We're dedicated to sharing the wisdom and inspiration our community has to offer by telling our stories, being thought leaders, and having open conversations with our allies. This series is brought to you in partnership from the Women in Agile organization and Scrum.org. Hello, listeners. Welcome to another episode of the Women in Agile podcast. I'm your host, Leslie Morse, and today we are chatting with Georgina Donahue. Georgina is an experienced community builder who's worked with companies like PwC, Esri, and American Express. She currently runs Pragmatic Alumni Community, a community of practice for product managers at Pragmatic Institute, and spends a lot of time thinking about how businesses can deliver human authenticity to their customers online. Georgina, thanks for being with me today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I love that phrase, human authenticity, and doing that in an online fashion. What does that mean to you? So I think um, I think that community, especially when an organization is involved, right? Building an online community for a business, whether that is for your customers, which is generally who I work with, um, your partners, uh, or your employees, right? Um, it's really about blending this kind of supercharged power of human connection um, and and friendships with business outcomes, which is a very um, interesting uh, juxtaposition because sure it is a science of psychology and human dynamics and um, you know high level business outcomes but it's also very much an art of subtlety and timing and intuition because um, you know you you can't always uh, just put a human relationship and emotion and dynamic um, through the same, SOP every single time the way you can with some other business practices. So um, it's certainly a dynamic place um, to focus. Yeah. And I, friendship is such an interesting word that you used there because some of those qualities you described about intuition and timing and the subtleties of it, when you truly are friends with someone, you know them in a way to know what cues to look for and things to pick up on. Mm-hmm. And that's so much harder in a purely virtual sense. And when you're dealing with large communities, it becomes nearly impossible to know everyone on a friendship level. So I'm super jazzed to just get some of your wisdom here today because Pragmatic Institute is sort of, I I love the crossover of the agile industry into product management. Um, And I think most of our listeners may have already been exposed to Pragmatic Institute just because there is some crossover between our communities. But for those that don't know what Pragmatic Institute is, can you just give us a little bit of a blurb about who you all are and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So Pragmatic Institute uh, is a leading education partner um, in the product space. So we work with product managers and product marketers um, to help them really know um, how to build and sell products that their market is super jazzed about, basically, right? Um, And, you know, Pragmatic also um, has this really comprehensive learning approach. Um, So we also uh, train data scientists and data analysts um, because that crossover is so important to making a product succeed. Um, And then also we recently launched a design practice as well, um, which is really, really fascinating for me in particular. Um, I love that. So really, uh, 
you know, as a whole, I could say that Pragmatic Institute um, is kind of the start to finish learning partner um, for organizations that just want to have absolutely rock star products. That's awesome. That's great. And then I get, I get curious in the way that we as agilists, well, we're missing out on it now because we're still in the COVID era, but like going to the big agile shows like agile 20, whatever the year is, or scrum gathering events or whatever it might be. um, Even when you haven't met someone before, meeting them for the first time at one of these agile events, you're like, Oh, I feel like I've known you for forever. Cause there's so many shared values and principles that kind of bind us. Do you sense the same in the discipline of product management? I do. I do. Um, and the interesting thing I'll share from my own background, right. Is so I've been in the, um, community management field, um, for many years. Um, And it's funny, all three of those disciplines kind of share this common chord of feeling a little bit misunderstood, feeling Mm. like they have a huge amount of value to offer if only someone would give them the chance, right? If only someone knew what I am capable of offering you as an organization, as a consumer, right? Like they're like all three of these groups are just so full of hope and passion and motivation for what they do. And they're so supercharged by the possibilities that are there, all the opportunity, right? And so, yes, I see it in the agile space. I see it in the product management space um, where, It's getting a little better with product now. I would say of those three groups with community management as well, Mm -hmm. product is kind of at the head of the pack where um, there are defined product departments um, in organizations, right? Agile too, like you Mm -hmm. see the more common terminology that's happening. But 10 years ago, there was this sense of like being an underdog, being the only person in your organization who knew what you did, right? And so you live your kind of life on an island. Uh, and so then you go to a conference, you're like, oh my gosh, these people know what I yes. do all day. Like <laughs> I can, they get me. Yes. And it's kind of this feeling of this like instant camaraderie. Right. Mm-hmm. And so an, an online community should do that for you as well when it's really kind of um, built the right way. Um, and the answer is absolutely yes, because you have this sense of shared purpose and shared value. So when yeah. you enter a community online or physical or otherwise full of people who want what you want, they speak your language. They've had a shared experience. They've been in your shoes. Of course, that is going to feel so magical to you, right? Because you have just stepped into a community that was designed for you by people yeah. just like you. That's, um, and I think that is what, as scrum masters, as agile coaches, as agile leaders, we are aspiring to cultivate within the agile enterprises. We're we're also working to cultivate because I don't know as though any of us have that sort of perfect ideal agile mm. environment quite yet. Like, or even if we do, there's always in that pursuit of inspect and adapt something that we're looking to, to hone a little bit further. And that's really where I'm hoping we get a lot of that transfer of knowledge and inspiration and tips and tricks for you today. So before we really go there, let's just talk about like, how would you describe the pragmatic alumni community? Um, What's the current state of it? Was it always this way? Just give us a little bit of sort of the history of how you got it to where it is and, and what worked and what didn't. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so this is a great time for a little uh, like verbal history and walk down memory lane for me in particular, uh, because next month is the one year anniversary of nice. when I launched the community. So um, really kind of nice thematic time to take a look back. So the Pragmatic Alumni Community, we call it the PAC affectionately, um, is a place for all of uh, pragmatic alumni to really gather. So uh, when you take a training with Pragmatic, right, you get all of these best practices, all these kinds of industry leading approaches that are, you know, the proven model for how these things work. And so what we heard was people stepped out of this classroom, like their minds blown, right? Like, yeah. oh, my goodness, this is amazing. Like, I know exactly what I need to do now. And they have this kind of transformational experience. Then they got back to their desk or, you know, now these days they shut down their Zoom and like take a screen break for a second. And it's 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 not quite as exciting. Right. And it's not quite as, um, you know, you're filled with dozens and dozens of ideas in your head. But you're like, oh, baby, now it's time to do it. OK, so I know what to do but I'm not really sure how I'm going to do that in my unique scenario, right? Like right. I know all of these best practices, like, and I am, I'm motivated. I'm inspired to apply those best practices to my unique reality, but gosh, darn, this is going to be kind of hard. And I wonder how other people have gone about doing this. Yeah, that is, I feel like if you just, you could superimpose that entire story onto what it feels like for a new person to come out of an agile course. Yeah. So I think that 100% rings true for me. Mm -hmm. And so the, the, the community that you all offer is that place. It sounds like. Yeah. So it is. Um, and so what, what we thought through was, okay, you know, I'm sure everyone has been in a class, a professional development training class, or even a college course, right. Where, Someone in the class like starts like raising their hand and asking the teacher or the professor like, okay, so I have this very specific scenario that doesn't matter to anybody else in this classroom of 35 people, but I'm going to take up a huge amount of class time asking you about this specific scenario. And everyone <laughs> in the class is like, okay, buddy, like, come on. Um, and the, you know, the instructor or the professor is like doing their best to be tactful and say, well, I'd be happy to talk to you about that offline, um, you know, or some other yeah. line to try to move things along because it's inappropriate for the scenario, right? You know, you know, you, you want to prioritize in class learning time, but those specific questions are so valuable, right? Mm -hmm. I, I, I am incredibly intensely curious about, okay, tell me your like sticky wicket, unique challenge. Like what is happening inside your organization? I want to know because how else am I going to learn what your day-to-day -day reality looks like? And even though the unique, <laughs> customized, tailored question of that person probably isn't valuable to the other 35 people in the classroom, it's intensely valuable to someone else. Mm -hmm. And if I can connect that question and the subsequent answer to the next person who has that question and the next one and the next one and the next one, then you're really democratizing that knowledge and you're yeah. really just totally releasing it to the entire community of alumni, right? And so no one has to feel like an island, no one has to reinvent the wheel and everybody's knowledge is just exponentially amplified, right? Yeah. So that's kind of a, 
now I'm getting in, now I'm getting in my like philosophical soapbox groove. Uh, <laughs> but that is really kind of the high level thought process behind the pack. Um, and so that is that space. So today um, we have about 5,000 alumni, last I checked, um, that are in the pack, um, mm -hmm. all basically sharing their questions, their challenges, their lessons learned. Um, people post their templates. Hey, I just did my personas the other day. Can someone take a look at these and tell me what you think? Someone else says, oh, I think those look great. Can you review mine? Um, or, you know, here's, here's a pragmatic template that I used. I completed it and filled it out. I hope it's helpful to someone else who's just getting started and needs somewhere to jump off from. All of those kinds of things um, all happen inside the pack. That's great. And what, what were some of the key things that you did to get it to this point? Because mm -hmm. you said you really just launched it about a year ago. Mm-hmm. So there are, again, it is, um, there, how do I want to say this? So again, community is a science as well as an art. Mm -hmm. So there are definitely best practices and kind of hard won realities from community practitioners across the last, you know, 10, 15 years, um, that are kind of like your old faithful <laughs> approaches that really do work, the tried and true best practices. Um, but you have to, just like in Agile, you have to constantly adapt and you have okay. to be really, really flexible because again, you've got this art, you've got this subtlety, this like squishiness of just human dynamics, mm -hmm. right? And so you have to be ready to pivot. Um, so some of the things that I did that are kind of um, tried and true um, is you always want to start small. You want to have kind of your small group of key um, fans or leaders or most passionate people that, um, you know, a community is best when it is built for someone by someone just like mm -hmm. them. Right. So I'm I'm not a product manager by trade. Um, so I can kind of nurture the community, but it's certainly not me who's going to build it myself. You want people that are in the product space, product yeah. managers and product marketers and product leaders and agile leaders, right? Those are the people that need to be building the community. So you find those people and you give them an excuse to come together, right? Mm. And that's kind of your, um, in, in our community, we actually have kind of a formal leadership program for those people. We call them our founders. Um, they were the very first people in the community. They got invited in early. Um, they have kind of defined leadership roles. They're definitely kind of like the MVP, OG community members, um, you know, and they, and they take a lot of pride um, in that role. They offer you know, a lot of feedback and, um, you know, they have a real stake in the success of the space and they, they signed up for that. They raised their hands to be part of that. So that's a key, um, thing to starting a community is a lot of people, they really think about the numbers because community is often equated with social, mm -hmm. um, and, and they're, they're cousins, uh, but they're not the same. Right. And so, a lot of people make a misstep when building a community. They're like, all right, how many people can we get in here? Let's, yeah. let's fill it up. Right. And you actually have to be pretty stalwart. Uh, you have to be pretty firm with your stakeholders and say, no, we're going to keep this really small. Um, because that is what will allow you to very intentionally define and build a culture. 
right? And so you want to have a really clear culture, um, you know, guidelines, and just like any community, you've got you've got standards, you've got inside jokes, you've got mores, right? And um, and you want to have a really firm hand. You want to be meticulous in defining what that culture is going to be. And you don't want to prescribe it onto the culture. It has to organically come from what you're calling that founder group. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, It sounds like quality over quantity is mm -hmm. important early on. It's important early on. Yes. And then the way that you build and grow, of course, you don't, you don't want to stay with like, you know, 50, a hundred people forever that, you know, you do want to spread the magic, spread the joy. Um, And the way that, um, a mentor of mine, her name is Rachel Hoppe, she's brilliant in the community space. Um, the way that she has described growing culture intentionally is like making risotto. So I don't know if we have any cooks that are listening, but if you make risotto, you need to add the rice really slowly and you're mm-hmm. stirring and stirring and stirring and just like adding a little bit more rice at a time. And that's what maintains the consistency of the risotto. If you just dump all the rice in, it like gets weird and machine, like it gets out of control really quickly. And so it's the same in a community where you have your kind of starter of really clear defined, you know, group of people that have shared standards and culture. And then you add 10 more people, right? And they're going to assimilate. They're Mm -hmm. going to get on board, right? And carry that culture forward. They're gonna be like, oh, okay, I get it. Like, I'll do that too, right? And then you just keep adding your little handfuls of rice again and again and again. And that's what helps you kind of have this really healthy development. That's um, that's such a lovely metaphor for that. Um, and I get curious because I think we have really great pockets of that happening in the overall agile industry, whether it be um, whichever main educational provider you've linked up with, whether it's scrum.org or scrum Alliance or scaled agile or I see agile, like different pockets of community. And there's just kind of the overall, you know, agile Alliance group. The, um, the thing that I get curious about is how to translate this into an organization so I'm an agile coach, I'm, a, I'm an influencer, I'm a, I'm a leader, and we're really wanting to build that, that, sen- that same sense of community around what it means to be an agile organization and the culture shifts that go along with that. Um, and it's really rare for, um, at least in my experience, for an organization to have internal dedicated community engagement roles. Um, maybe it's something that's happening somehow out of HR or something like that, but it's not just a, a specifically defined thing. So if you've got agile practitioners that are looking to cultivate that real strong sense of community that you're talking about, that you've got it with Pragmatic Institute, how might you get started within the confines of your organization? It's a really good question. Um, and, and a tricky one. I won't, uh, I certainly won't sugarcoat it. Um, but I think that community is ultimately about the shared purpose and shared value that I mentioned before. So in a strong community, everyone will be able to give you the same answer when you ask mm-hmm. them, what's the reason that we're all here? What's the outcome that we're all hoping to achieve, right? They'll all know, And they'll give you that answer, right? So to build a community, and you need to also build a really strong vision of what unites that group. What brings those people together? Why do they care, right? In a lot of organizations, what brings those people together is, well, this is my day job, and like, I need money. 
Um, And so that is, um, you know, that that's the reality of work. Like we all go to work to to pay for our lives, but it's also pretty transactional. And we do Mm -hmm. have an opportunity um, to say, okay, yes, I do work, you know, to pay my bills. But I also, I work here because of all of these other reasons, right? Because I'm motivated, because I'm stimulated, because I have passion in the project that I'm doing, because I feel strong connections to the team that I get to work with, because I feel like I'm paving new paths. And that is really inspiring for me, right? So we have all of those kinds of opportunities. And so I think really finding that strong vision, and Mm -hmm. also, like I said, starting small, right? So um, because I think a lot of people take that advice as, okay, Great, strong vision. Let's build a top-down strategy. We'll tell everybody to get on board, right? Yes. And and that's a misstep, right? Because, again, community is not a series of initiatives. It's an interwoven network of relationships. So, you know, starting as an agile leader, starting as an agile individual contributor, right? Ask somebody to lunch Mm -hmm. and just ask them a ton of questions. Make a friend, (laughs) Ask them, ask them if you can help them with something that they're doing, listen to their woes and their challenges and be like, oh, I so hear you. That happened to me about a year ago. Right. And, and, you know, just be that person. It really just starts with two people um, making a relationship and being really intentional about, hey, you know, this lunch was really great. It really helped me. Like, it was nice to get to know you as a friend, but it also, you know, makes me feel better about my work here at this organization, would you like to have lunch once a month? Yeah. Right. Then someone else joins and, you know, and it's a snowball um, and it kind of just um, comes, comes all together. And it, it is about, you know, it does take someone to kick it off uh, with, you know, good emotional intelligence uh, because you do have to blend that human connection with the business outcome that you're trying to drive. Okay. So there's, there's two things coming up for me. One, um, I think about the agile principle around sustainable pace Mm. and that we are always already way overworked in most Mm -hmm. of our jobs and in our lives in general. So the idea of having the space or the company allowing me to have the time to really build this sense of community, um, like, where does that come from? Cause I'm already mm-hmm. overloaded as it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that part of it. And the other part of it is how is this different from the idea of community of practice? Because ev- nearly every single one of those that I've been part of have felt like one of those top down initiative things that we're going to create one thou shalt do it this way. Mm-hmm. And I've never really seen one thriving in a meaningful way. So I'll let you just take that, Georgina, however you want to in terms of tackling your response. <laughs> yeah, well, let's talk about the pace um, first, okay. because I have a lot to say about COPs. So we can uh, we'll circle back to communities of practice. Okay. Um, But thinking about a sustainable pace and you're like, all right, yeah, Georgina, that all sounds good. But like I I have a bajillion things to do. Right. And this is just another item on my list now. And how do I, you know, um, how do I actually make this happen? In my opinion, when when you're approaching it with a real community mindset, doing this work should feel restorative Mm. rather than another item on the list. Right. It should feel like. Whew, 
what a breath of fresh air to have had that kind of reprieve, right? To be um, kind of seen and understood by someone else who's doing this work. You know, maybe you're new and you're looking for a mentor in your organization, someone who's been doing Agile at your company for, you know, five years and has seen things change, right? And you're like, man, I'm so frustrated. And this other person can say, you know, I get why you're frustrated. Let me tell you, they're really working here. Like things are way better than they were. And, and the pace is just getting faster and faster. Like there's definitely hope for you, right? Like, yeah. you know, some, some restorative things um, or, or whatever, you know, goodness comes out of that engagement um, mm-hmm. with that person. Engagement sounds kind of like a clinical word, um, but, you know, um, business jargon sneaking in. Yeah, that um, interaction with them. The interaction, yes. Yeah. Um, and the other thing that you said was, you know, how do I get, the company to allow me to have that space to do those kinds of things, right? Um, and I would, I would encourage people to push back on that a little bit, on that idea, um, and to be pretty assertive with their leaders about um, no one's allowing you to do anything. You're doing them a favor to have employees of an organization organically going out and exchanging the tacit knowledge from inside an organization, supporting one another to be more productive, more effective, more knowledgeable. That's like a golden ticket for an organization or a leader. Like no one should be requesting that. You should be saying, hey, guess what I did? You're welcome. Um, You know, I'm I'm really building this from the ground up. And so I think um, I had an old coworker, um, it's a tangent, uh, but I had an old coworker who one time her dad taught her a lesson of being assertive by telling her, hey, I want you to go into this bar, right? She was of age at the time. I want you to go into this bar and I want you to take one of those bar stools and I want you to walk out with it and just like act like it's your bar stool and just go do it. And she was nervous and hemmed and hawed and finally she did it and nobody said anything to her. They thought she was supposed to be there, like taking the stool because she had enough bravado and gumption to be like, I am here. I am supposed to be taking the stool. And if you saw that in a bar, you'd be like, oh, an employee has come to collect that stool. Like maybe it's broken. Like she has some official business that she's going about. Right. Um, And I've always thought about that because you really just need to kind of like fake it till you make it, right? Like, because this really is a huge value to your coworkers, to your organization as a whole, to your boss, right? So you just have to be like, this is my bar stool. I'm here to take it. See you later. I, I, it, there's a weird cosmic flirt sort of thing going on here. Cause I was mentoring uh, this woman that she and I meet regularly. And in our conversation yesterday, I told nearly an identical story, but it was about one of my prior partners oh, and wow. he got onto the red carpet at the Oscars. <gasps> it was very much what it was still in setup mode. And he, um, and he was just like, he was looking at his phone and looking around and just basically was like, Hey, y'all over there, it doesn't go there. And he just like, and that was the diversion tactic he used to just make it seem like he was supposed to be there. And he walked out on the red carpet, looked up at his colleague on the balcony at the Kodak theater, was just like, Hey, yep, I'm here. And then just like left. But there is something about this idea of feeling like, or in knowing this is the right thing to do and just having that courage to move forward and a little bit of forgiveness versus permission. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure there's a lot of listeners out there also going, and yeah, 
that sounds great, but I'm also struggling and fighting with my supervisor each week on where I need to charge my time on my time card. Mm -hmm. So um, I love that you bring in that restorative nature around it, that when you're doing this sort of work, Mm -hmm. there is that restorative quality to it. Um, Because so many organizational cultures are kind of missing out on some of those restorative Mm -hmm. pieces. Um, which makes me want to get into another topic I want to unpack with you, but I also don't want to skip over the community of practice stuff. (laughs) Well, I'll make, I'll make kind of one note that we can then wrap this particular topic is, um, you know, I also think that if your organization is really not giving you the space to do this and you are doing it in a way that's restorative, make sure that it's restorative, right? Mm -hmm. They're not giving you the space to do it. Um, Don't burn yourself out on it. Right. Give what you can moderate the amount of energy that you have available to dedicate to this and just, you know, just do a little bit. Right. Do what feels good to you. Don't ever get in the situation where you're like, oh, I have to go to lunch with another person. Oh, my God, I've had lunch with like three people every single day this week. I really want to just like have some time alone. Right. Um, You just do what you can. Yeah, I love that. That's great advice. And, and if you're going to do this, how do you not have it turn into one of those awful communities of practice that we've all been part of? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. So, so the community of practice is super interesting. Um, I assume that the community of practice that most people listening have been a part of have been internal, meaning Mm -hmm. it's a group for only for the employees of one particular organization. Um, So I will say Uh, there's another side to communities of practice when done well. Um, So the PAC is a community of practice and um, community of practice COPs are my absolute heart song when it comes to community building. Uh, So there's a lot of different types of online communities uh, Mm -hmm. that are out there. I would say probably the most common or the most popular one that you'll see today is a customer support community, community full of people who all use the same product or service. Um, you also see internal communities that, um, you know, like you said, sometimes they're run by HR. Sometimes they are more of a community of practice that comes out of the, you know, the dev department or the marketing department or, you know, whatever area it is. Um, and then you also have communities of practice. Um, and so I have managed, uh, a number of communities of practice so far. Um, and I, and I love it. It's, it's definitely the area that uh, is most inspiring to me. So have, have heart, uh, dear listeners, uh, there is, um, a way, uh, to really enjoy that time and that space spent there. Hey everyone, Natalie Warner here, the president and executive director of Women in Agile Org. I wanted to thank you for listening to this episode of the Women in Agile podcast series. We're thrilled to have this as a platform to showcase the wisdom of our community. We'd love to get your help to amplify the reach of the series by asking you to go over to iTunes in order to rate and review us. After you're done, take a screenshot of your rating and review. Then post the screenshot to Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn and tag hashtag Women in Agile. If you do this, we'll not only reshare your post, but also add you to a monthly drawing to receive a Women in Agile goodie bag filled with WIA stickers and other treats. Thanks for listening. So COPs are typically full of people who focus on the same type of work, but Mm -hmm. they do it in different places um, or across different applications. So 
Maybe they do it for different companies or maybe they do it across different product lines or different departments internally. Right. Right. And they can be so, so powerful uh, because they make the knowledge and the learning utterly exponential. And I'm, I'm always super inspired by COPs. However, um, if folks have been part of a community of practice in their organization that the, the leaders or the org set up the COP, but then didn't support it, then I'm sure that that was A, frustrating, and B, frankly, just an utter waste of time. Yeah. Uh, because here's the thing. Technology does not equal community. An idea does not equal community. A community Something on a calendar not, doesn't equal yeah, community. <laughs> no, a community does not just happen. It really doesn't. And I spent a lot of time... Um, consulting in my community career. And I'll tell you what, I got a lot of clients um, because of this misconception that like build it and they will come. Um, yes. It was a great, uh, it was a great pipeline. Um, but I'm here to kind of shoot myself in the foot and tell you that it is uh, build it and they will come is really just for the movies. Um, mm -hmm. It is not a viable approach for building a community. Um, you know, and as um as we teach in pragmatic, right, you really need to listen to your market. And if you're a leader inside an organization, your market is your employees, right? And if you just like heard from your friend's uh, cousin's niece at a cocktail party that COPs were like the hit thing for inside your organization, and then you sent out this like big email to all your poor, long suffering employees the next Monday, I'm sorry, friend that's not the right approach, right? Yeah. Like that is not validated market research. Um, <laughs> there is no shared purpose or shared value there. And so, um, you know, think about a geographical or a physical community that you've ever been a part of, right? Maybe it's a sports team, uh, a religious center, a neighborhood group, whatever it actually is, right? Like think about that community that all came together because not every sports team is a community. Sometimes mm -hmm. you just play the game and then you're like, okay, season's over. Right. Um, or think about, you know, even maybe it's, um, you know, college roommates that you still see today or something like that. Right. There's always that one person that sparks and nurtures and drives the community forward. It's the like, coach. Oh, Sarah Jane's the one that brought us all together yes. when we're together. It's like, she's the nucleus of this. Yes. Yes. And, or, or the coach who not only taught girls softball, but hosted a, you know, Sunday morning pancake breakfast for the team every week. Mm -hmm. Right. Or the, um, you know, the neighbor who is like on the PTA and like, you know, you thought was kind of nosy, but is actually a sweetheart and like organizes block parties every summer. Right. There's, there's always some person who, who just kind of quietly and unassumingly has decided to be the community manager for that space. Right. And it starts as the nucleus. Right. Yes. Yeah, so if you're in one of those communities of practice that feels kind of lifeless and mm -hmm. your heart tells you, like, that's what I want to do. Mm -hmm. What are some of those like tips or tricks beyond like you talked about, like, just get some people together and go to lunch and form those kind of, I mean, dare I say, like intimate Mm -hmm. connections and relationships, right? That sounds like it's the lifeblood of making this work. Yes. What else would this person need to do to transform that existing COP that they might be in? So I'm going to give, um, I'm going to give a big answer. Um, okay. and then I'm going to give the answer that I think that you 
are maybe more expecting. So the big answer is you need to hire a community manager, uh, a full-time community manager, because you know, if you don't have a steward for this space, you're just never going to, you're just never really going to get off the ground, right? This is a full industry. It is a full discipline. If you go on LinkedIn or Indeed right now and search community manager, community engagement manager, your mind will be blown of how many open job descriptions there are out there hiring these people right now, right? Um, so, it's it, it just doesn't work when you don't have a steward for a COP or if you have it kind of dangling off the side of someone's desk and that poor beleaguered person like has another full-time job that they're also trying to hit their KPIs on. Um, so I would say if you have an agile leader who's like, you know, this is for me, like mm-hmm. I can do this. I like, I want to move into this role. I would recommend um, going to some of the community management outlets um, and pulling some research about the value and the ROI that is available, um, the average salaries of community managers, the average roles and descriptions, all of that research exists and is available out there. And I would make a case. I would go to leadership and say, hey, there's a huge gap in our organization. I know that you leadership person who decided to have this COP agree that there's value here. Um, but I think that I can really make all of these positive things happen if you give me the role and the runway to really make it happen. So that's one way to do it. And the other way to do it is, um, say we, it's not me, but also here's the case for like, we should hire somebody to be doing this. Um, and let's make sure that I get some of those places that people can go to stick in the show notes. Cause I want to be people to be able to go and click on those links. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the community roundtable um, is by far um, the most well-researched out there. They've been doing research for over 10 years. Um, you can also check out the community club, which is more of a newcomer, but has some really great resources as well. Um, and they recently launched a course that's designed for people that are um, making a career shift from um, a different career into community management for the first time. So there's some resources out there. I'll send you the link so you can put those in the show notes. Perfect. Awesome. Um, so that, that's my big answer. And I honestly, I stick to it. And I really like, I really feel firmly about that. Um, because you're just, the organization is not going to get the benefit that you want them to, or that they want to without it. Mm -hmm. And, um, you're also just, you're going to get burnt out if you try to do your job and you try to be an agile leader and also a community manager at the same time. It's like going for, it's like going for a canoe ride and being like, why would I bring this paddle? I'll just use my hands. That'll, yeah. that'll work fine. Right. It doesn't. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I am firm on that. Um, but right. I also understand that, you know, we're all working towards best practices and sometimes there's a long road between where we are and when we get there. So mm-hmm. in the interim, there are some things that you can do to kind of connect, um, the, the best practices of, community building with kind of a more overall organizational culture that, that might be manifesting inside a COP. Right. Mm -hmm. So I would say that, um, some of those principles to focus on are transparency. Um, so trying to find out and encourage your leaders to tell you, okay, well, what, what did you hope this space was going to be? Right. Like, let's talk about, um, the whole reason why you even decided to do this. Mm -hmm. Um, A two-way feedback loop 
is really important as well. Um, so having that, um, kind of, um, collaborative building sense, right. And so a reason why a COP from the top down often like bristles and you're like, ugh, another thing I have to do now, um, is because there, it's not, it's, it's a, it's a one-way street. There's no two-way conversation happening, right? And so really having, um, you know, even if you can get your leadership, frankly, if a COP is not going well, your leadership's probably like super excited to get it off their plate. Like it's probably (laughs) a big pain in the ass to them at that point and they want to get rid of it. So if you go to them and say, hey, I think that we should, you know, nominate a five to 10 person COP council, right? And, you know, have you know, have a VP on the council, but also have, you know, someone who's like an intern or just started, right? Have a really diverse group of people representing um, and and put them in charge of, of collecting the feedback and making choices going forward, right? And going out and asking like among the people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so you want to have that working for you. Um, clear guidelines, expectations and mores are important. Um, I can't tell you how many times I point to my community guidelines. Um, so, you know, those aren't terms and conditions. Those aren't policies. Those aren't legal disclosures. Um, those are really cultural standards about what's going on in the space. So, you know, for example, um, I don't allow any selling in my community. Right. So like if you I I have consultants, I have vendors in there and they've got to know you're here as a practitioner. You're not here as a provider or a vendor. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, no hard sells. I can't have a fox in the hen house that's so uncomfortable for everybody. So I can't I have to point to those guidelines all the time and be like, hey, I, you know, I know you didn't, you know, mean to cross the line, but you did answer a question with a link to your consulting website. That's not appropriate. Um, You know, keep it keep it in house, right? So having community guidelines. um, And also, I think the biggest one is reliability. So when you do something, um, or when you say something, you need to follow through on it. And you need to do that thing for for the good things and for the not so good things, right? Mm -hmm. So consequences, but also keeping your word and just being true to your word. Um, This one comes up a lot um, in product and ideation communities I've seen. So This is more common um, when a kind of product team creates a community space for their customers to offer Mm -hmm. them ideation and and feedback and ideas. Um, So you'll get all these people that post an idea um, and then nothing, nothing. Right. And they're like, hey, we're listening to you. Um, You post an idea as a customer and then no one responds no one does anything. It never, the status of it never changes. You're just like, Oh, all right. Like I'm yelling into the void. Wonderful. Right. And so if you're not repair, if you're not prepared to respond to all of those ideas, if you're not prepared to say, Hey, once a quarter, we're going to put up a blog post with all of the community sourced ideation that we're actually putting in product into production right now. Right. If you're not prepared to kind of deliver on those things, then just don't do it at all. And it's true. It's true for a lot of these things. Right. So if your organization is saying, you know, use this COP, you'll make, you know, great connections with other people across the company to like have a mentor. Right. Um, And then they're just like, go make it happen. Like, you know, go futz around out there and like see how it goes. Right. 
that's feedback that is really valid for you to say, hey, I was really excited about the promise of a mentor program. Um, when are you going to put the defined structure for the mm -hmm. mentor program into play? When are you going to begin assigning mentors and mentees? How do I sign up and get my name on the list? Right. You don't right. want to be you don't want to be passive aggressive, but firm again, take your yeah. stool, you know. I love that. I love that. And I'm suddenly inspired for how useful this episode is going to be for people that are product owners out there, right? Mm -hmm. That maybe have found themselves as product owners without having come from an official product management background. And that idea of listening and engaging with your customers, how powerful community can be in your strategy for having the knowledge so that you can achieve that very first agile principle, which is our highest priority is to satisfy the customer. Mm -hmm. um, and you can't do that unless you're really listening to them and community. I, I'm really inspired by how that can be such a strong channel for getting that feedback that you need um, yes. in order to keep iterating on the products and services you take to market. Yes. And, and it yeah. happens in such a positive, good hearted way. Right. Like every single my entire day, every single day is just like, how is this going to be a good time for the users? How are my members going to feel about this? Like, how am I going to make my members lives better? How do I get this lady a promotion? How yeah. do I help this person impress their boss? How do I help this fellow, you know, navigate a really tricky work situation? All of those things are great, like really positive things to do that really make an impact on people's lives, right? And at the same time, when you're working with, when your members are your customers, um, nothing important happens in the office and the community is not an office, right? And yeah. you're just like, you are plugged in to this like absolute mecca <laughs> of, of knowledge about how your product is working out in the wild because you mm -hmm. don't you don't get the opportunity to go sit in your customer's office and see how your, you know, see how your software looks on their computer, but they'll yeah. tell you about it in a community. Yeah, that's, that's, um, there's a lot of power in this. So Georgina, thank you. Yeah. Before we wrap up, I want to talk a little bit about just how you've navigated your career as a strong, confident, competent woman in all of uh, in all of your wisdom and talent, and how you see gender roles in um, not only the Pragmatic Institute alumni community, but also just in product management or maybe community management as separate disciplines. Yeah, it's it's an interesting question. Um, I, I might be a little bit of a, um, I don't want to say unpopular opinion, maybe uncommon opinion, um, in that I think that, you know, women working in community management and product management, product marketing, um, you know, are, are uniquely well designed to be exceptional at this work. Right. And so I do hear, um, I, I do hear a lot of challenges and there, and there are challenges that exist in kind of a gender dynamic. Um, but I, I certainly don't feel stymied by those in comparison to the advantages, um, that exist for, um, the common characteristics women tend to display. Right. So again, speaking in generality, so, um, there are always exceptions to the rule, but 
having really high emotional intelligence, mm-hmm. being able to read a room, um, thinking from a perspective of, frankly, conscientiousness, right? Being a community manager is about being like the best hostess ever at a party, right? Being a really good product manager is about really putting yourself in someone else's shoes. How is my customer actually going to use this product? Like, How is this going to add value to them? All of those things, I think, just fit really beautifully into the way that uh, that women's minds tend to navigate and drift towards. Um, so I think that there's huge opportunity, right? Um, for me, I am I'm incredibly lucky um, that I have had really strong, really brilliant uh, female mentors and bosses. Um, And so at the moment, I work for Rebecca Caligiris, who's the VP of Marketing and Product at Pragmatic Institute. Um, It's just an absolute powerhouse. She's totally brilliant. Um, You know, every single time I'm like, hey, guess what? I've got a crazy idea. She's (laughs) like, every time she's like, cool, how can I help you get there? Like, you know, I always get the benefit of the doubt. I always get the like, great, yes, and, right? Um, and I think, you know, being being intentional about finding those people um, that are going to kind of act as like a boost for you, mm-hmm. right? And really kind of empower wherever you want to go um, is, is huge. Uh, and when you have that combined with kind of the natural inclination in these kinds of industry spaces, it's really, really powerful. That's, um, that's great. And so I just, I, I encourage everybody to really lean into, um, not as much the, um, who is that person for you, but who are you that, who are who are you, Who are you that, that person, person for? for? Yes, yeah. yes, yes. <laughs> right. Because I think it's so easy. Um, I've just been reading some content from um, the female lead, which is an organization out of the UK. And they're talking about the, um, the unentitlement gap and, um, or the unentitlement mindset. Thus there is an entitlement gap and how like the, that story we tell ourselves as women of who am I, to deserve that promotion and all of these kind of things and inadvertently marginalizing ourselves. And I find myself talking to other really brilliant women agilists. And we're talking about, you know, how do we do more to cultivate community and who are those founder kind of people? And we're like, Oh, we've got to go get Diana Larson or Esther Derby or Lisa Adkins. Cause like they're, they were our teachers, right. And they're and those, those women are still teachers of others, but then we marginalize ourselves like, well, but other people might look to us that way. Mm-hmm. And so who who can you be that booster and that cheerleader for and that yes and person for mm-hmm. um, so that there's more of that legacy and, and yeah. sense of community for whoever's coming along next to you? Yes. And I also think, Leslie, in that mindset, I really think that um, just say yes to the opportunities that come up, right? Like one day, someone like me is probably going to send you an email and be like, hey, do you want to be a founding member of this super cool community that doesn't exist yet, but Mm -hmm. I'm trying to build? Um, Say yes to that, right? Because I think, you know, something I've really been thinking about more recently um, is 
is less how do I be a leader and how do I be a really good participant? Because mm. if we just have a world full of leaders, then there won't be any community, right? Yeah. Because you you can't, we can't all be in charge, right? Like you also have to cultivate the skills of like, how do I be a really good supporting actress? How do I like show up and support the movements that I really care about? I don't have to lead every single one. I don't have to create every idea, but I can show up and I can attend a call and I can post a question and I can lend my support and I can, you know, share it on LinkedIn or whatever. Um, so I also encourage everyone to think about, you know, where are the opportunities that you could say yes to being a participant? Yeah, I love that, Georgina. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. What yeah. final wisdom do you want to share with folks before we conclude today? Um, hire a community manager. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, no, and I mean, yes, I do. I do believe that. Um, but I also, um, there are wonderful communities out there that are full of agile uh, practitioners, um, community practitioners, um, product practitioners. Um, go, go join a community. Um, just be yeah. a member um, and you will learn way more from being a member and what works and what doesn't than you will from listening to me talk about it. So go join a community, whatever yeah. it happens to be about. I love that. And right. And that's, you know, a great call for, you know, there are more than 9,000 uh, women in agile uh, community members right across the globe. We've got, I think, nearly 70 local user groups now. And yeah. the beautiful thing about the world that we've lived in over the past 12 months is that there's so much cross-pollination of the local user groups now because of um, we're not meeting in person. So the women from the Charlotte uh, Women in Agile group are going to the San Francisco events and all of these things. And it's just so lovely to see that happening. We've got a Slack channel. So if you are seeking yeah. an Agile community, the Women in Agile community is absolutely here um, for you. So reach out to us if uh, you're interested in that. Georgina, this is, I've learned a lot. Thank you so much. Um, I really appreciate you uh, accepting our invitation to come join us on the podcast. Yeah, totally. Uh, happy to be here. Um, I am such a community nerd. You can always bamboozle me into talking about community. Um, if folks are pragmatic alumni, I welcome you to join the pack as well. Um, and I'm also going to make sure I share plenty of links with Leslie so you guys can um, look at a lot of that research and, and community resources that I mentioned. Awesome. Thank you so much, Georgina. I really appreciate it. Yeah, you got it. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Women in Agile podcast. It's brought to you in partnership from the Women in Agile nonprofit organization and scrum.org. We hope you've learned something new and invite you to tell a friend or a coworker about our podcast. Please go online to womeninagile.org to learn more about our initiatives and find additional inspiring podcast conversations. Thanks for listening to this Women in Agile podcast episode. Find more inspiring conversations by visiting womeninagile.org slash podcast checking out the podcast series on iTunes, or visiting your podcast application of choice. If you have an idea for a topic, speaker, or feedback on an episode, please reach out to us via email through podcast at womeninagile.org.